You create your life with the stories you tell yourself. Want more fun, love, and money? Then write your new story and live into it. Louis DiBianco's podcast, Change Your Story, Change Your Life, shows you how to discover your empowering story. You'll meet many successful people who have created magnificent lives, even when the odds were stacked against them. Plus, you'll learn the secrets of great storytelling that can explode your business. And now, here is your host, Louis DiBianco. You can't see the picture when you're in the frame. That's easy to understand intellectually. But stepping out of your frame and into someone else's takes desire, discipline, and skill. Hello, storytellers, and welcome to another opportunity to expand and enrich your world. One of the ways that you can definitely accelerate your growth is by choosing to read more wonderful books. And our sponsor, Audible, offers you a free downloadable audiobook of your choice. You choose from more than 180,000 titles. You get to keep it. And you also get an entire month free of all of Audible service. Go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power and choose a form of audio empowerment today. I really value your presence here, your loyalty by listening to this show again and again and I'm going to ask you for a favor. Go to iTunes and leave a rating and a review for this show. One of the easiest ways to do it is to leave a comment about your biggest takeaway from today's episode. And that will help the show to gain more visibility. Then more and more people can have the opportunity like you to enrich their lives. Thank you in advance for doing that. Today's guest is a master at creating frames and helping others create them frames for enriching communication. He's a sought-after speaker at leadership and sales conferences, a former TV personality and top producing salesperson. He has shared the stage with some of today's top business leaders, broadcast personalities, coaches, athletes, and political leaders, including a former U.S. president. He's co-authored the best-selling Go-Giver books with John David Mann and has written several of his own popular books, including the critically acclaimed Endless Referrals. His total book sales are well over a million copies. He is one of Inc.'s 100 Great Leadership Speakers. He lives and teaches the belief that the amount of money you make is directly proportional to how many people you serve. Get ready for an inspiring mind shift from Bob Berg. Bob, welcome to Change Your Story, Change Your Life. Hey, it's so great to be with you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And, um... Because you are noted for your expertise in sales, I would love to know, were you always good at persuasive communication and salesmanship? Uh, No. I mean, when I started uh, selling, I knew nothing about sales. And uh, so I floundered really for the first 
few months, I'd say, the training where I was working was negligible at best. So I kind of went out there on my own and and just knocked on doors and talked to people about my product or service and did all those things that probably in the in the process of of sales was was incorrect. I talked too much. I didn't listen enough. I made it about my products and services instead of the other person. And so it was only once I began to um, to read up on on sales and selling. I didn't even know there was such a thing as a how to sell methodology, but. Uh, once I discovered that, it gave me a place to go. It gave me something to systemize. And uh, from there, I, I got a lot better. Uh, in terms of persuasion itself, in certain, <clears throat> in certain aspects, uh, I had an advantage when it came to persuasion, um, only because I you know, grew up uh, blessed by having a couple of really great parents who were able to, you know, influence and persuade just by being good people and by caring about others. And that's really, when, you, when it comes right down to it, influence and persuasion is about tapping into what another person wants to accomplish and helping them to get it. Mm. So, you know, in, in that, in that uh, case, I, you know, I, I had some, uh, a natural ad- advantage that way, but no, I don't think one needs to be a natural when it comes to influence, persuasion, sales, or any other skill. They can, they can all be developed. Well, was there an event, Bob, or a mentor who helped you discover and begin to actually master the secrets of influence that you not teach to others? Well, I would say that you know to to paraphrase a uh, uh, a very very well known book, everything I learned about uh, pers- influence and persuasion, I learned from my dad. So because he was very much an outgoing, not outgoing, well, yeah, outgoing personality, I'd say. Although I'm much actually more introverted, but um, he was very much in the public eye, I should say, uh, locally with the business he owned, and. He was a, a man who just, and it was very natural for him, he, he was really gifted with this ability to be able to really bring out the best in others, to, to really be able to what I call make people feel genuinely good about themselves. Mm. And so I got to, to really watch this man in action all my life who, uh, you know, just had a, a way of really just dealing with and working with others even the normally difficult people in such a way that everyone just loved my dad and uh, he was really able to help so many people. So, so he, he would be absolutely my, my influence and persuasion mentor. Now, that said, I've also read and studied it and have read everyone from Carnegie to you know Aristotle to everyone when it comes to persuasion. Not everyone, of course, but a lot when it comes to this. But it still goes back to you know, to everything I really learned about it, I, I witnessed my dad in action. Mm, wonderful role model. Now, the actual idea for the go-giver, which is so wonderful, what sparked Thank that, that, it, that made it, that is, because it's become the essence of your work? Well, years ago, my, my first book, which you were kind enough to mention, called Endless Referrals, Network Your Everyday Contacts into Sales, was really a how-to book for people who... Uh, yeah, they were they were salespeople or entrepreneurs who had a product they believed in and and really understood they brought phenomenal value to others, but they didn't feel comfortable in the process of meeting new people, prospecting, building relationships, which is what leads to business. And so it was really a, a how to on how to very 
confidently uh, be able to to build relationships with others to the point that other people would know them, would like them, would trust them, want to do business with them, want to refer them to others. And it's been a successful book. But I've always loved reading parables. And I've, I've been reading parables for 35, 40 years. And, and what I enjoy about parables, which is what the go-giver would be, is that they're stories. And as you know, uh, stories connect on a heart-to-heart level. And when, you know, uh, when that happens, people are much more likely to be able to accept the information, take in that information, and apply that information. So I thought, how could we take the basic premise of endless referrals, which in full is all things being equal, people will do business with and refer business to those people they know, like, and trust. How could we put that into a parable? So I asked the question, what's the the main essence, the the main characteristic of a person who's able to build and cultivate these relationships both quickly and sustainably? And what it comes down to is they give. They they focus on giving. And when I say giving, I mean giving value to everyone they meet. So I had a very basic idea for what I wanted the Go-Giver uh, book to be, a, a brief parable about that with several laws that would uh, – And but fortunately, I connected with John David Mann, who at that time was the editor-in-chief of a, a magazine I used to write for. At the time, very few people knew of John outside of a specific niche and, and knew of his, his absolute brilliance as an author, as a writer, as – and fortunately, I was one of them who knew. So <laughs> I asked John if he would consider being the uh, the lead writer and storyteller of this this book that I had an idea for. He was very busy at the time, but uh, he told his his fiance at the time, Anna, now his his lovely wife. He said, "You know, but I I can't just say no to Bob without at least exploring the idea." So uh, they were down in uh, Tampa, across the state from me, visiting her her mom. And they drove across state. We had about a four-hour dinner and discussed the idea for the book. And a few weeks later, he called me and said, you know, I think we got something here. So <laughs> we began working on it. And that's really how The Go-Giver you know, started. And, uh, you know, it, it came off another idea, but really it's a, you know, it's a standalone book. Well, it is. And what I love about the title, I mean, because everyone is familiar with a go-getter. And when they hear go-giver, it just stops you in your tracks. You go, what? Exactly. It's a pattern interrupt. It's you know, total it, pattern it, interrupt. Exactly. And, and, it, and man, it works. It and really, now here, yeah? Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I, I was, I was going to say the interesting thing about that, and, and we did, you know, position it off the term, the, the go-getter. Um, and yet, the, the interesting thing is the opposite of a go-giver is actually not a go-getter. It's a go-taker. We, we always say, exactly. Yeah, we love go-getters because they're people of action. And, you know, you, you know you're, you're a very successful business person. You know that you can have the greatest ideas, nicest thoughts, best intentions, but unless action's put into the mix, nothing's going to happen. So we want people to be go-getters, people of action, and go-givers, people who are absolutely laser-focused on providing exceptional value to everyone they meet. But as you said so eloquently, uh, we just don't want them to be go-takers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> those are, those yeah. are the people who feel you know, kind of entitled, if you will, to take, take, take without having added value. Beautifully put. Now, to you, what does the word influence mean? Well, in, you know, influence it itself, I think, has has two, if you want to say, definitions. There's the basic one, 
which is simply uh, the ability to move a person or persons to a desired action, usually within the context of a specific goal. By dictionary definition, that is what influence means. And that's its definition. But I don't believe that that's its essence. Mm. The, the, the essence of influence is pull. Pull as opposed to push. Uh, you, you, you know, you've heard the expression before, how far can you push a rope? And the answer is not not very, right? <laughs> but at least not very fast or very efficiently, which is why great influencers, what we would call genuine influencers, don't push. Uh, you never hear people say, wow, that Tom or that Mary, she is so influential. She has a lot of push with people. Mm. They'd say, no, she's influential. She has a lot of pull with people because that's what influence is. It's pull. It's an attraction Great influencers attract people first to themselves and then and only then to their ideas. And they do this not through pushing their ideas or pushing their will on others or being push-e, but through pull. I like that. And, of course, part of an influencer's, um, let's see, arsenal is... The skill of persuasion. Now, what right. is the difference between persuasion and manipulation? Sure, and that's that's such a great question and such an important question. Uh, if you if you take the word, you know, if you go back to influence, let's let's first understand that that one can influence, right, move a person to a desired action through either persuasion or manipulation. And the influencer, a, a, a powerful influencer, knows, they understand uh, human nature. They understand what drives people, what motivates people to, to action, both the negative aspect and the positive aspect of that. So, uh, you know, I kind of consider influence itself neither good nor bad. It just is. Okay, it's sort of like gravity. You know, mm. gravity is a thing. Gravity uh, in our earthly existence, gravity works. Someone <laughs> might say, is, is, you know, is gravity good or bad? Well, it depends. Uh, it's good when it keeps us from floating aimlessly up into space. It's bad when we fall off a seven-story building. So it's the same with influence. Influence is good when we persuade another person, which means we're tapping into what they want, what they need, what they desire, and helping them to get it. It's bad when it takes the form of manipulation, which is uh, control or, or um, you know, uh, being dishonest or, or guilting someone or doing those sort of things. So, you know, probably the best explanation of the difference between persuasion and manipulation I read in a, a wonderful book. It was actually written back in, I, I think it was... Um, uh, 1987. It was by Dr. Paul W. Sweats called The Art of Talking So That People Will Listen, though it was much more about listening than it was about talking. And what Dr. Sweats said, which I thought was so brilliant, was this. He said, um, manipulation aims at control, not cooperation. It does not consider the good of the other party. It results in a win-lose situation. In direct contrast to the manipulator, he says, the persuader always seeks to enhance the position and self-esteem of the other party. As a result, people act responsibly because they're treated as responsible, self-directing individuals. 
I think what it really comes down to is intent. You see, a manipulator may not want to hurt the other person, but if that's what it takes to get their way, they'll do it because it's all about them. They're totally eye-focused or me-focused. With a persuader, that can never happen because for a persuader to feel good about it, they've got to know that you also won and that you feel good about it as well. You know, right now, uh, my room just got brighter. You know why? Thank you. Why is that? Because of your incredible clarity, my friend. You, the examples you use are so clear. When you do, when you give an analogy, it's oh yeah, I totally get that. Oh, thank you. What a nice compliment. Well, it's true. <laughs> it's not flattery. It's a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> the difference between. So, I love an example in your book. I'd love you to share it with our audience about what. Can an elephant teach us about communication? <laughs> well, there was a, a very ancient um, story or analogy, if you will. It came in the form of a poem uh, called the, the. Well, it's been called different things, but it's it's known in one iteration as the six blind men of Indostan, and it talked about there being six sightless men who were all basically introduced to an elephant and they could feel the element from different, different aspects of the element. And based on that, and that was all they could see or actually feel, they all came to their own conclusion of what an elephant was. So the person who, uh, who felt the tail to them, what was an elephant? It was a giant rope. Okay. Uh, to the person who felt the trunk, well, an elephant is obviously a very big, thick hose. To a person who felt the side of an elephant, an elephant was obviously a big, solid wall. To the person who felt the leg of the elephant, well, obviously an elephant is a big tree stump. So the, the lesson we receive from that is if we're looking at something only from our own point of view and a very limited point of view, which we all have because we're all subject to our own individual belief systems, okay, Uh, then we can only see one side of an issue. We can't possibly understand it from the other person's point of view. So most of us tend to carry around this, this one aspect of a thing, of a truth, if you will, and we, we think that's the whole truth. And uh, it's it's very difficult to effectively communicate with someone or influence and persuade another human being when you can only see your point of view. Wow, I absolutely love that. And uh, you just endorsed my show because I'm passionate about the fact that the best way to teach is through stories, and you just did. Wow. It's, a, it's, a, it's a wonderful, wonderful story. And while we're on the subject of animals, another animal shows up in your book, who teaches us the secret of persuasion and influence, and that is a cat. Can you tell us about the cat? Yeah, the cat in the story is Cleocatra, who is is nicknamed Cleo, but it's Cleocatra. And uh, Cleocatra was was based actually on on two different cats. Uh, One was was one that John had when he was a little boy. And uh, one was that I had several years ago who I adopted. And so we, we, part of the story was based on my cat, Liberty, who I named Liberty, who was a stray cat. And 
when I first found Liberty, one of my neighbors had alerted me that there was a, you know, a kind of a starving looking cat out there. And so we, we went out, we brought some, some food and water and, and the cat was very scared and also looked angry and, and wouldn't, wouldn't even approach to get food and water. So we just kind of left it there and, and went away and we noticed it was eaten by the time we got back. And I repeated this, you know, for a few days and I'd stand back and watch and, and I, I eventually kept leading the cat through, um, putting it, the, the bowl of food and water closer and closer to my, uh, back patio. And, uh, eventually the cat was getting more comfortable. So I actually put the water in the, uh, in the, the food inside my patio and the cat would come in as long as the door was, was left open, as long as there was a back door and out as we call it, right. An emotional escape hatch, or in this case, it was a physical escape route for the, for the cat. Uh, and a couple more times, uh, eventually about a week later, the cat actually started coming into my house to eat. And became my cat. <laughs> and uh, I, I named her Liberty. And she was still, you know, she was an outdoor cat still. She, she would actually uh, come and uh, come I'd leave the back, the patio door open. She'd come in about 5 o'clock for dinner. Actually, exactly 5 o'clock for dinner. And then she'd come in the house for the rest of the night, hang out with me. Then she'd, uh, she'd go out for the night. I made a bed for her out in the, on the patio. And then she'd be there for morning for breakfast in the morning and then she'd be out for the day and come back at five again. But anyway, so she was pretty consistent. But the, the, the lesson in the story was that if you want to, to live, remember pull as opposed to push, right? If you want to lead someone to a certain, in a certain direction, you've got to make it first of all, something that they want, something that they desire. You know, it was all about the cat. It wasn't about what I wanted. It was about what she wanted. And then, you know, giving her a win, something that she would she would want to have, which was a, you know, a, a home for as long as she wanted with someone who loved her. So, uh, you know, that was really what that aspect of the, the story was about. Wasn't there also the aspect of um, making her feel safe? Because if, if you yes. because if the door were closed, she would bolt. She was afraid. You, You've got to do that. The, the, the out or the back door is one of the most important aspects of influence and persuasion because as human beings, we don't want to we, – we want to feel in control of our, our lives, okay? We don't want to be cornered. We don't want to be closed in. Uh, and we want to know that we can uh, – so, so here's what I – you know, I call this the rule of the, the out or back door, and that simply says the bigger the out or back door you give someone to take, the less – they'll feel the need to take it. Mm. So you don't provide the out or back door in order that they take it. I didn't leave the door open so that Liberty would leave. You leave the back door open so that they feel confident and comfortable enough that they don't feel the need to leave. I love that. Um, Thank you. The, um, did Liberty wear an Apple watch? Did she? No. Why do you ask? Because she knew exactly what time to come. Oh yeah, she was unbelievable at five o'clock. I, I, you know, because it was so funny because I'd be doing an, an interview because uh, I do you know everything out of my home, and it would be during the interview, and I'd look up and she, and it's five o'clock, and she's there. Yeah, and she yeah. would kind of look at me and growl as though, "Hey, human, you know, why aren't you out here feeding me?" Exactly. And I, I'm trying to you know explain somehow to to the cat that I'm still on an interview, and we'll get there in a minute, and you know, didn't seem to make a difference to her. <laughs> Can you give a short example of giving somebody a good out so they feel relaxed? Sure. It might be as simple as um, 
in a sales presentation where you feel this person's a little bit um, defensive or, you know, a little bit uh, apprehensive and you let this person know, you know, while we've been able to help a lot of people with this product, whether or not it's the right solution for you, we simply can't know without exploring deeper and discovering whether it meets your needs. So please know our conversation is for both of us to determine that. And if it is, great. If not, that's certainly okay as well. Good. That's wonderful. Thank you. And a lot of people, uh, including myself, need to practice that more. Uh, it's uh, it's an important one. Yeah, it's also one one other one other really nice outer back door is when you suggest some when you want to suggest something to someone to say this may or may not be something you want to consider. Mm. And, you know, and so again, it it takes the pressure off that person and allows them to be self-determining. I'm going to start practicing that more. Thank you. My pleasure. That is great. Now, because the theme of mentorship is so powerful in your books, my question is, can you learn persuasion and influence well without mentorship? I think it depends um, how you would define mentorship, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you why. Because some of my greatest mentors I've never met, but I've read their books. Mm. You know, Benj- Benjamin Franklin is one of my greatest mentors. Booker T. Washington is one of my greatest mentors. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, <laughs> you, you read people's books, you learn how they did things, what they were about, what they stood for, how they acted, and you can learn from that. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I think you can absolutely, so I would call them mentors, right? They're yeah. just not mentors I've ever met. No, no, uh, they, they are, but they are mentors. You're not just, sure. you know, yeah, pulling it out of, uh, thin air. As a matter of fact, sure. I, I have your CD program on Benjamin Franklin. I love that. Uh, oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was one of the first things I got, uh, uh-huh. when I found out about your work. Oh, now, this is a great one. Why is our frame more important than our content? when we communicate? So that's a wonderful question. Let's, let's look at what a frame is. You know, as you, you and I are both alike, and, and, and as is John David Mann, we love the, the meaning behind words, and, and we, we know how important that is. So what is a frame? Well, a frame is the foundation from which everything else takes place. Okay. Uh, can I share a quick example of probably my all-time favorite frame, and it has nothing to do with business? Yeah, sure. So uh, I was at a Dunkin' Donuts restaurant. We don't we don't have as many Tim Hortons down here as we have up where you are. So um, because <laughs> yeah, because I believe you have more, more Tims up there, right? Well, Tim Tim Horton was a a hockey star, a Canadian. Oh. It's a Canadian. It started in Canada. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, whenever I speak in Canada, the first thing I do is if I don't see my Timmies at the airport, I, I go to uh, the first Tims I see and I have my coffee. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm a big Tims fan. But but down here, it's Dunkin Donuts. In fact, I, I grew up in the, the greater Boston area, which is sort of like Dunkin Donuts Mecca, since that's where it was founded. So so I'm at a Dunkin Donuts restaurant here in Florida where I live. And there was a a little boy who was running around the restaurant. He was probably two, two and a half years old, a a toddler. And his parents called him over to the table. So he starts to walk over to to the table. And he suddenly falls. He he slips and he he takes a spill on the floor. Now, he didn't hurt himself. You could could tell. But he was surprised. He was shocked. 
Uh, this was not something within his realm of experience, right? So the first thing he did is he he looked at the two people in the world he trusts most, his mom and dad, to get their interpretation of the event. Okay, what happened happened. He wanted to know what's next. <laughs> now, I truly believe that had the parents gotten panicky and upset and, oh, no, my poor baby, are you okay? He would have started to cry. But the mom and dad both handled it so beautifully. They, uh, they walked over quickly, but very calmly, uh, very serenely. They had looks of, you know, smiles on their face, and they applauded, and they laughed, and they said, oh, what a good trick, how fun. And immediately, the little boy began to laugh. What the parents did is they set a productive frame from which he could operate. Okay, mm. so that's that's a frame. So so why is it so important? Uh, see, the frame is the context, <laughs> right? The content might be the words. Now, regardless of what the parents had said, which would be the content, what was the context they set that everything was fine? Mm. Okay, and so when we first meet someone. And we approach with a smile. Uh, we are setting the context. We're setting the frame for a beneficial interaction. Oh, I love that. Are you familiar with uh, Steve Sims, who wrote Blue Fishing? No. What's fascinating, he's a highly successful man. And if you see him, he's, he's scary looking because he, he looks like a biker. In fact, he usually shows up at his big business meetings with Anna Harley and he's wearing jeans and uh, the, the vest and he has the beard and the earrings and you go, Oh my God. And people have asked him in interviews, like, how do you show up to a business meeting like that? He says, he walks in with a big smile and the first words out of his mouth is, well, let's talk about how we can, we're going to make magic together. And he uh. sets the frame. Yes, he does. Wow. Yes, he does. Uh-huh. So you just answered the next question about how you do it. There are many ways, but yeah, it's creating that context because what you say is definitely secondary to that. Now, well, then they... Oh, go ahead. I'm so sorry. No, go ahead. Good. No, well, please. you know, it's, it's, it's simple to set a positive frame. Now the question is, what if someone else kind of comes to the table in a negative frame? Uh, just like the person we talked about, the uh, prospective customer who can't you write who had a negative frame before you did the sales presentation. So now we need to reset the frame. And in a sense, we talked about doing that with her when we gave her the out. We let her know, hey, there's no pressure. Everything's OK. We didn't. That's not what we said, but it's the frame that we that we set. Uh, I think of, a, of a, an example from a few years ago where I was pulling into a uh, parking space in a hotel parking lot. And I was not paying attention as I should have. And I nearly clipped a guy as he was getting out the driver's side of his car. And he was taken aback. He was shocked. He was probably scared. But mainly, he was really ticked. And he shot me the nastiest look I've ever seen. Now, his frame was anger. His frame was kind of hate. I'm not saying I blame him or not. I'm not judging. I'm just saying that's how he reacted to what happened. That, that just is what it is. Now... Had I, that was the frame he set. Now, that was the context, right? Had I bought into that, 
And, you know, I, I look, gave him a dirty look, what are, you know, and he said, watch where you go. No, you watch where you're right. We know how those things turn out yeah. Never pleasant. I yeah. don't want to be a part of anything like that. So what I did is I reset the frame. I immediately uh, put my hand up, you know, in a kind of a polite wave with a, 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 a smile of apology on my face. And I immediately through the windshield went, sorry. Right. And immediately he waved back and said, no problem. So what did I do? I reset the frame. Now we're working out of a frame rather than being adversarial. Now we're allies. Mm -hmm. And what's funny is when I got out of my car, he apologized to me for not paying attention as he was getting out of his car. So, (laughs) you know, so when we set a right, when we set a frame and let a person know it's a, you know, Hey, you know, 99 times out of a hundred, that's how it's going to work out. This is a perfect, unexpected segue into the next question. We can choose to compete or collaborate. Why is collaboration more desirable? And why is it extremely important today, 2019? Sure. And I, and I think there are a couple of things here. There's, there's competing, there's collaboration, there's compromise. And, and let's talk about, because they can, they can all sort of get confused with, with one another. In terms of competing, and there's a time and place for everything. Of course, you're in a baseball game or a football game or a hockey game. You're going uh, to compete. That's what it is, okay? You're going to collaborate with one another if they're on your team, but you're going to compete with the competition. That's how, competition, compete. That's how it is. Um, and even in, you know, in business, sometimes you're competing for the sale with the same client. That's how it is. That's, that's life. But what we're talking about is in this case, living not on the, the frame of competing, living in the, or in the, um, uh, the, uh, plane, I should say, P-L-A-N-E, not on the, the competitive plane, but rather living on the creative plane. And I first learned this from Wallace D. Waddles in his fantastic book from 1910 uh, called The Science of Getting Rich. He talked about where you place your focus, and it's simply much more profitable to place your focus on creating value than on competing with others. Now, I want to clarify that, if I may. Mm -hmm. That that doesn't mean you're not aware of your competition, that let's say in business, okay? It doesn't mean you're not aware of them. It doesn't mean you don't understand them. It doesn't mean you don't know more about their product or service than they do sometimes, right? I mean, that's important. It means your focus is not on the competition. Your focus is on creating value for your customers. So there's a, it doesn't mean you ignore it or that you're not aware of it, but your focus isn't on competing. Your focus is on creating value. Okay, then we say, okay, so what about compromise? Isn't that, you know, an important part of influence or getting along with others? And, and while there's certainly times that, 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 um, that um, compromise is important, by and large, we don't want people focusing on compromise as their first solution, okay? Because compromise by its very nature is actually lose-lose. Mm. Uh, as one of the mentors in the story explained to, to the protege, uh, competition, the word uh, compromise, rather, the, the word compromise comes from an old Latin word for no one actually gets what they want and both sides feel miserable about it. Okay, now that obviously isn't exactly what it, <laughs> the, the, the definition it comes from, but it might as well. Because by the very nature of compromise, it means both parties are giving up something that they want instead of 
you're right, everybody benefiting. So, I mean, you do it sometimes, you have to, but we don't want people seeing that as the first choice. We would rather people collaborate. This is when two people, rather than looking what they can give up or make the other person give up, it's both people getting together and say, what do we both want more of and how can we make that happen? So, you know, there's the old story about the two siblings fighting over an orange. And uh, the father says, stop fighting, just cut the orange, Uh, you know, cut the orange in half. Okay, so they did. And and that was it. Well, later, uh, you know, uh, the father said, wasn't it so much better that you cut the orange in half? And so both of them said, no, I wanted the whole orange. Well, isn't that selfish? Well, here's why they wanted the orange. One of them wanted the rind of the orange for uh, an experiment for school. The other wanted the meat and the juice of the orange to eat. So had they collaborated, they could have both had the full orange that they wanted. That's by, right. By compromising, they each only got half of what they wanted. Oh, man, I love that. That is a great one. That so is... it's so Right, so when we're in the process of either a negotiation or influencing, let's not look for what we need at the other's expense. Let's look at what we can help the other person attain while we're attaining what we want. That's collaboration. That's a win-win. That's one plus one equals three. And really important in today's world, wouldn't you say? Oh, sure. Absolutely. Especially, you know, in the political context where you have people on social media going back and forth with each other. You know, it's almost, you know, it used to be that when it came to politics, it was, I'm right, you're wrong, which even that's not very good, but, but that's how it used to be. Now it's not, I'm right, you're wrong. It's, I'm right, you're evil. Yeah, I know. I know. You know. In other words, if you don't agree with how I think things should be, not only are you incorrect, not only are you naive or wrong, but you have, have absolute evil intent. And, you know, it just isn't so. I mean, there's always those few people in the world that, you know, the outliers on each side, whether it's the far left or the far right or whomever. But no, most people want other people to do well. They want to do well themselves. They want to live in a country where people are free to live their lives how they see fit, providing they don't infringe upon the rights of others, where people can be healthy and wealthy and wise and what have you. Okay. Now, there are two totally different ways of going about it, at least here in the States, and I think in Canada as well, you know, that both sides, both parties, major parties have totally different ways of believing the right way to go about it. But when you when you assess the other side as being evil, there's nowhere to go. There's no chance for a constructive dialogue. Mm, no, I agree. I'm seeing that a lot, unfortunately, even with very good friends who are well right. well-intentioned, and they come out with stuff <laughs> that is actually a masked uh, view that they're attacking. They're attacking yep. the hatred, but they don't realize that what they're doing is using the same tactics against exactly. other. And it, it's crazy. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are the five secrets of genuine influence that people will learn from your book? Well, the first one is to master your emotions. This is really where it all begins. Uh, the sages of old asked, who is a mighty person? And they answered, that person who can control their own emotions and make of an enemy or of a potential enemy a friend. 
Uh, it's only when we're in control of or when we master our own emotions that we're even in a position to take a potentially negative situation or person and turn it into a winning situation for everyone involved. We know this. We all know this. Yet how often do we allow, based on what someone else says or does, do we cause ourselves or allow ourselves to become uh, defensive or frustrated or helpless or victimized or angry and we say or do the very thing that is absolutely counterproductive to our getting the results we want. Mm. And again, we, we know better than this, so why do we do it? Well, the reason is is because we're human beings. Uh, and by our nature, we are emotional creatures. Uh, we'd like to think we're logical, and to a certain extent, of course, we are, but we are we are pretty emotion-driven. We make major decisions based on emotion, and we back up those emotional decisions with logic. We rationalize, right, which really means nothing more than that we tell ourselves rational lies. And we do that to justify our own actions that were based on emotion that we know weren't really correct. So... What we're not suggesting that anyone does is to deny their emotions or forego their emotions. First of all, it just it's not sustainable. It's not congruent with human nature. But there's also no reason to. Uh, emotions are a wonderful part of life. They bring us joy. They make life worthwhile. So no, don't don't deny your emotions. Simply control them. You need to be the master of your emotions rather than your emotions being the master of you. Or as one of my great friends and mentors, Dondi Scubacci, often puts it, take your emotions along for the ride. Just make sure you are driving the car. <laughs> so that's really, that's really principle number one to master your emotions. Uh, principle number two is to step into the other person's shoes. And, you know, this one sounds kind of trite, doesn't it? Because we've all heard that before. Oh, step into the other person's shoes. And we think, well, that's pretty easy to do. But then you think about it. Is it really easy to do? After all, uh, most of us have different sized feet. So it's actually not possible to step into the other person's shoes, literally and figuratively, to step into the other person's mind or head. And because we're not them, we don't know what they're thinking. Uh, remember, we were, as we alluded to earlier, we all operate from our own set of beliefs, and beliefs are nothing more than subjective truths, subjective truths, not necessarily the truth. We see the world from our own set of beliefs based on upbringing, environment, schooling, and, and, and so forth. And they're pretty much set in stone early on. So by the time we're little more than toddlers and through our, most of us, you know, live our lives, uh, in a sense, the victim of an what I call an unconscious operating system. And not only do we see the world a certain way, but so does that other person, right? Based on their limited, the way they see the elephant, right? And so, uh, you know, and we tend to think that everyone else sees the world basically the same way we do, which is totally untrue. So mm -hmm. the only way we can step into that other person's shoes is by asking questions and then listening. But not listening just with our ears. That's surface listening. That's what most of us do. That's listening only in order to speak. Uh, that's letting them get in their two cents so that we can then get in our ten cents. 
listen with not just with your ears, but listen with your eyes. Listen with your posture. Listen as one of the mentors advises with the back of your neck. In other words, put your entire being into listening to this person. And when you do, two wonderful things happen. One, you actually do understand about that person. I mean, let's put, take this in the sales context, okay? What is selling? By definition, selling is simply discovering what the other person wants, needs, or desires and helping them to get it. How do we do that? We ask questions. How else can we know? Then we listen because how else can we learn? So when we do this, not only do we understand this person and are we in a position to help them, but the other person feels listened to. They feel heard. And we know it's a very human need to feel heard and understood by another human being. And that leads to trust. Hold on a second. Was that a, a, a motor behind us? Yeah, outside. That's the, okay. Sounds, sounds like they are mowing. And That's okay. Probably is, yeah. Sorry by, the, by the way, by the way, I love what you just said. Uh, I was going to mention, you just defined the essence of great acting, by the way. Oh. Yeah. I oh. mean, I'm a professional actor, and in any studying I've ever done, I mean, it was the first thing, the ability. For instance, for a person to be able to improvise, uh-huh. People think, oh, I can't improvise because it means being witty and having a quick, fast, and funny response to things. No, it's about listening mm. and really going with what the person is giving uh, you. Uh, uh, you know, uh, it's fabulous. Yeah. So that's ah, so thank we, you. Yeah, thank you. And now number three is what? Yeah, number three is setting the frame. And we talked about that uh, earlier, mm-hmm. right? That's just creating that context, if you will, for everything else that takes place. Number four is to communicate with tact and empathy. Uh, My dad, who I referred to earlier as my greatest mentor, um, he has always defined tact as the language of strength. Mm -hmm. And I've always loved that definition because to me it takes tact, uh, excuse me, it takes strength to be tactful. It takes strength to not just react to what someone else does, but to respond to that person into the situation to think first to ask yourself how is what i'm about to say or tweet or post or email answer right how is it going to affect this other person is it going to build them up or put them down is it going to create or is it going to destroy is it going to so uh, so i think that's so very important now really when you think about it tact is is the ability to communicate an idea to someone that they may not ordinarily uh, appreciate or be glad to hear, but doing so in such a way that not only are they not defensive toward you and resistant to your uh, suggestion, but they're open to you and they're more accepting of your suggestion. And that's really tact. Well, empathy helps us to understand the importance of tact and be tactful. You know, empathy by definition is the identification with or vicarious experiencing of another person's feelings. But there's a a challenge here. Just like with law number two, when we don't know what's inside the other person's head, we don't necessarily know what's inside this other person's heart. We don't know what they're feeling because we're not them. And sometimes we've had similar experiences and can understand how they feel, but other times we have no idea how they feel. What empathy does, though, is it basically says, hey, you know, 
I may not understand how, exactly how you feel, but I understand you're feeling something mm. and that this something is distressful to you and I'm here to help you work through it. We don't say those exact words, but that's what we communicate. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, number five. I was just going to say. Uh, law number five kind of brings it on home, and that is let go of having to be right. Let go of having to be right. Now, this one's a bit counterintuitive because, you know, the question might be, well, we're talking about influence. Don't, don't you want to be right? Aren't you supposed to be right? Well, of course we want to be right. Uh, and we're going to prepare so that we're, the chances are that we're right. And we're going to communicate in such a way that the chances are it will be accepted and we can be right, of course. What it really means is let go of the attachment to having to be right. In other words, be open to the idea that you may not be right. You may not be totally right. Or you might not be totally right about this one aspect. It means open up to others' point of views. It means you don't have to agree with them. You know, uh... Opening up to another person's point of view, trying to understand where they're coming from, does not mean you have to agree with them, not at all. But it means you at least understand why they're saying or doing what they're saying or doing. Uh, now, when we do this, uh, a couple of really good things happen. <laughs> One is, is when we let go of having to be right, we allow ourselves to go into learner's mode. Okay, we can we can actually have more information, knowledge, wisdom than we did beforehand. The person who does not do that cannot grow. Uh, this is the person we were sort of talking about them the in the political context, right? Where my mind's already made up. Don't confuse me with the facts. Okay, they're not open to to hearing it, and so they can't know any more than they know right now. And typically, to the degree someone is closed-minded like that, they probably know less than they think they know. Mm-hmm. So, so when we open ourselves to, to learning, not only do we learn more, which actually makes us more influential because we have more knowledge. Now we understand the other person as well as ourselves, where the other person only understands if they even do themselves. But when this other person sees that you are not just looking to be right at all costs, that you're not looking to be right at their expense by making them wrong. Now they're actually a lot more likely to relax and let go of their defensiveness and be more open to learning your point of view. Yeah, that's a very, very powerful one. Um, uh, and it makes you more open, right? Because you, you know, like uh, the expression, uh, have a beginner's mind, you know? Right, exactly. Like you said, the learner's mind is, is, is a beginner's mind. Mm-hmm. That's a very wonderful one. Now, I'm definitely not going to spoil it for people. The If you read the book, the Go-Giver Influencer, you'll discover the wonderful way that the two central characters come to terms with giving up being right. And it's not expected, and it's quite wonderful in the book. It's mm-hmm. a great Thank uh, you. Yeah, it is. Now, what are... Just eight words, Bob, guaranteed to win people to your point of view. Yeah, and and this is within the context that you're dealing with someone who doesn't have to do something for you, but you would really like their help. And you've approached them in the in a way that you've utilized these five principles. And, you know, the person now does not feel defensive toward you. They, you know, they and, and the five words you would use are the excuse me, the eight, the eight words you would use are 
if you can't do it, I'll definitely understand. Mm. Now, again, you, you, again, you've already been, you've been polite, you've been patient, you've utilized these five, you've mastered your emotions, you've stepped into their shoes, you had set the frame or reset the frame, you've been tactful and empathetic, you've let go of having to be right, and now you ask the question, you, you simply say, if you can't do it, I'll definitely understand. What you've done is you've, you've um, provided them, for, first of all, you've let them know with respect that, yes, you believe they can do it, but also that they are more important than the result, which makes them feel good about themselves and good about you. You've also given them the out or back door. If you can't do it, I'll definitely understand. Now, if you want, you can always follow up those eight key words with, if you could, I'd certainly appreciate it. <laughs> you know? And so, yeah, those eight key words, though, and I'm telling you, I probably receive more emails and more feedback from people who tell me how those eight words have changed everything in their communication with others and in the results that they get that they never would have before. Well, I love it because this this also requires strength because you have to be yes. willing to let go. And you can't do that if you're insecure. If you're afraid, I'll go, I can't lose this, I can't lose this. But right. if you just relax and go, okay, the other person's more important, and I will let it go. So, that, yeah, that, that's that's quite wonderful. Thank you. What is the most powerful example of how the go-giver approach has enriched you personally and financially? Oh, I could I could provide so many examples of specific incidents, but really it's just the overall living life and doing business that way. Uh, you know, I mean, really, when you think, of, and there's nothing about it that is magical, there's nothing about it that's mystical. It's simply this, that when you move from what I call an I focus or me focus to an other focus, looking to bring value to others, looking to make other people's lives easier, looking to, what happens is people feel good about you. People begin to know you. They like you. They trust you. They, you know, you provide so much value to others that what you really do is you create what what we call a benevolent context for your success. And that's really, you know, what it comes down to. And so the, you know, the 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 deals that have been made or the results I've gotten that other people have said, oh, my gosh, how did you do that? But more importantly to me, the results that the people who who utilize, you know, this get uh, that just happens. That happens quite often. But the, the whole thing is being being willing to understand why doing this creates that context. Mm hmm. Or frame, context or frame, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, that's just quite wonderful. What, what is your favorite book besides your own? Oh, I wouldn't say my favorite book is my own. I, you know, I can't learn from my own books. I, I, I learn from other books. Um, so what, aside from my own, you know, there are some of the classics. There are the How to Win Friends and Influence People and, you know, Think and Grow Rich and so many of those those wonderful books um, that I just think are, are you know, the, the are fantastic. One of my all-time favorites is is actually a book by Harry Brown, B-R-O-W-N-E. Most people have never heard of this book. Uh, it's called The Secret to Selling Anything. Uh, he didn't actually title that. It was this book was published after he after he passed, uh, based on a couple of, of um, manuscripts his wife found on his hard drive and then sold it to someone. 
Uh, it's a beautiful book. It's it's really what it's all about is is understanding and respecting human nature. And I, I knew Harry and had a chance to get to know him briefly. And this guy who was just one of the, the nicest, kindest people you've ever met. And he had a, a deep understanding of and respect for human nature. So it was about understanding human nature, what motivates people, why people take action, and then how to apply that to, to uh, sales. And, and just to, to give away the secret, the secret of selling anything, as he says, ne- need not be a secret. It's simply find out what the other person wants and help them get it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which was Zig Ziglar's philosophy. Zig uh, very famously said, uh, you can have everything in life you want uh, yeah. <laughs> if you'll just help enough other people get what they uh, want. That's, uh, gr- <laughs> that's great. What is your favorite quote? Oh, I would say that one by Zig is uh, is uh, one of my favorites of all time. Okay. <laughs> now, uh, how can people... Oh, no, I was going to ask you, is there anything I should have asked you that I didn't? No, this was a, a wonderful conversation. I I think you asked everything uh, that could be asked, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> How can people contact you, Bob? Probably the best way is to go to thegogiver.com without the hyphen, thegogiver.com. And while they're there, they can check out uh, any of the uh, tools and resources we have, uh, including the podcast and uh, they can also get chapters one and two of of many of my books uh, to see if they like it, and then they can always click through if they like. And uh, so, sure, uh, visit thegogiver.com, hang around, and have some fun. You know what I love about what you just offered there is that it you're walking your talk because you're saying they can come along and read two chapters and decide if they like it, which is, again— you know, right. um, the outer back door. Right? That's yeah. the outer back door. You know, it's for Cleopatra. I love that. <laughs> now, I got to share something with the audience that Bob is actually much too humble. He didn't share with you that he's actually written a dating book. Oh, that's years ago. That's so funny. What? Did you, you? Did, you did your research. Wow. Oh my I was God. Back in, uh, back in the early 90s. What, what it basically was, it was my endless referrals book for dating, you know, to meet people through dating. Oh my and God. I actually you, yeah, I te- teamed up with a relationship expert and she wrote the chapters on, on the actual relationship and I wrote the chapters on how to find people through networking. Well, you know what? What's funny about this is that in a way I was joking. What was that book called? Oh gosh! Oh, it was called Endless Romance. Well, so in other words, net, network. Oh, network your way to endless romance. Yes. Okay. Yeah, you're gonna love this. I said that because I didn't even know about that book. I read Endless Referrals, and I used the ten questions on a first date with a woman mm-hmm. deliberately to you know relax her and open her up. And while we were going through them, she started to say, well, you know, uh, why don't you tell me a little bit about you? And I'd say, well, I I will, but I'd still like to know. And at the end of it, she looks at me and goes, 
no man has ever taken such an interest in me. <laughs> wow. Yeah, we, and we had a great first date, but it was that book. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I created a sheet with the questions and a mnemonic to under, to uh, remember it, remember them, remember yeah. them. And I've often gone to events, to networking events, and just gave it to people as a gift. Yeah, we also have, if you're interested, if you go to Berg, B-U-R-G dot com slash 10Q, one zero, then the letter Q, we have those 10 questions right on the uh, website. Oh. And anyone can go there and pr- just print them out. So Berg dot com, you said? Yeah, B-U-R-G dot com slash one zero Q. One zero Q. Yeah, 10 questions, yeah. Beautiful, beautiful. Any final thoughts for our storytellers today? No, just I wish everyone much, much success. And just to, you know, to remember that really when it comes to persuasion, influence, sales, it's really never about us. You know, it's it's always about focusing on bringing value to the other person, which doesn't mean there's anything martyrish or doormatty or self-sacrificial about it. It just means that people are going to do what they do for their reasons. And what we need to do is to tap into their reasons in a very genuine and authentic way. And to the degree, like Zig said, that you can help them get the results they want. Well, that's the degree you're going to get yours as well. And Bob, today you have over-delivered value for for me and my audience, and I can't thank you enough. Well, that's very, very kind of you to say. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Absolutely. And thank you once again, storytellers, for spending time today with me and Bob Berg. I think all of you will agree that Bob enriches our world when he speaks. His wisdom, his clarity, his passion, his authenticity. Think of someone whom you really care about who could use some enrichment, the kind of enrichment that you receive today, and let them know that they can hear this on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, and also now Spotify, as well as the website, changeyourstorypodcast.com. And a reminder, as always, that at the website, there is a gift waiting for you, an ebook that I created called Storytelling Secrets for a Rich Life and Business. The theme of books always comes up when I interview people who have who are working on their consciousness, on being mindful and on contributing to the world. Books are integral to growth and success. We mentioned quite a few of them in this particular podcast. As a matter of fact, five minutes ago, after listening once again to the interview with Bob, I went on to Amazon and I bought Harry Brown's book, The Secret of Selling Anything. Remember that our sponsor is Audible And they're offering you, the listeners of this show, a free audiobook of your choice. 
and you get to choose from more than 180,000 titles. Just go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power and grab your free audiobook right now. Bob, of course, gave us so many valuable insights. And the essence of his work is, in order to get, we've got to give. An important part of learning how to communicate in a way that you are focused on the other person and what they want and need and how you can give that to the to the other person is reframing for next week think about is there an area of your life and or your business where that that's suffering from poor communication it's really frustrating you and the other people in the communication with you and ask yourself how can you how can i create a new frame for my communication, a frame that helps me to come closer to what I want and certainly helps the other person get what they want. Begin by asking, how can I change my story and change my life? Tune in to the next episode of Louis DiBianco's podcast. Become unstoppable as you learn to change your story, change your life.